Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Who's Afraid of the Holy Ghost? So, praise the Lord. Who's afraid of the Holy Ghost? I remember the Disney cartoon. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Big bad wolf, big bad wolf. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Tra-la-la-la-la. I think that sounds like tongues. So, you could say, who's afraid of the Holy Ghost? Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Who's afraid of the Holy Ghost? Tra-la-la-la-la. Shandai. All right, praise the Lord. Now, I have to let you know that the title of this message is not original. I found out a couple of days ago that there was a book that came out in 1995, Who's Afraid of the Holy Ghost? And at first it was like, dang! And then it was like, the same author who told that author to name his book, Who's Afraid of the Holy Ghost, told you to name your message, Who's Afraid of the Holy Ghost? I said, I'll take it, Lord. Hallelujah. So it's not original. But it was original to me. Thank you, Jesus. So who's afraid of the Holy Ghost? Sadly, in the body of Christ today, there are many people, born-again, Bible-believing individuals, even pastors and leaders who are afraid of what they do not understand. They're afraid of the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to use Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit because it has a good old time gospel sound to it. Amen. These men are not full of wine as you suppose. They're just filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So these people either deny the truth that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for believers today, or they say they believe it, but steer clear of the gifts, speaking and praying in tongues or manifestations of the power of God. They'll even put it on their websites that they believe in such things, but you rarely see it in any of their services. Amen? Now, many pastors do this because they believe it will hinder the growth of their church. And we'll talk some more about that later as we get into this message. But I'm going to give you four reasons why you shouldn't be afraid of the Holy Ghost this morning. I'm sure we could come up with more But these four are good to start with. Amen. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues is the promise of the Father. It was prophesied in the Old Testament and it was delivered in the New Testament. Amen. Number two, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. And He won't give you something you don't need. And He won't give you something that will harm you in any way. Number three. Everywhere in Scripture where people got baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. Number four. Preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost and embracing the gifts of the Spirit is the best way to grow a church of vibrant, Spirit-filled, effective believers. Now, we're going to circle back, and we're going to go through all of these one by one. All right, back to number one. The baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues 
is the promise of the Father. Remember that phrase. It was prophesied in the Old Testament and it was delivered in the New Testament. Luke 24, 49. Amen. Everything's in King James in honor of old time religion and Pentecost, which is almost 2,000 years ago. Amen. Luke 24, 49. This is Jesus speaking to his believers. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry or wait ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Endued is a word that means clothed. It means you'll be clothed with power from on high. Amen. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father. There it is again. Which saith he, ye have heard of me. Amen. He basically said, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you get the power. Acts 2.33. Therefore, Jesus, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. There it is again. He has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Amen. Amen. Now we said it was prophesied in the Old Testament and delivered in the New. Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. Isaiah says 700 years before the day of Pentecost. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Amen. It was prophesied that tongues was coming, but when it came, they weren't ready for it. And they weren't willing to receive it. In fact, they didn't even want to hear about it. I run across people today, they don't want to hear what the scripture has to say about tongues. Because they don't like it, and they don't want it. And they don't want to hear a biblical argument for it. They shut their ears to the truth of God. You know, verse 12 says, when you pray in tongues, rest will come to your spirit, soul, and body. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says that he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Well, that's not a selfish thing. You want to be your best so you can help other people, right? That means... Spirit, soul, and body are edified. And that comes from a compound Greek word, which means to build the house. So when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you build the house of God. Spirit, soul, and body. Remember, He lives in you. Hallelujah. You know, they've done scientific research that has shown that people who pray regularly in the Holy Spirit, in tongues have boosted their immune system anywhere from 40 to 60%. Afraid of all these viruses that are running around? Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in tongues. Amen. Reminds me of a joke I saw. Guy said, I I think I've got the the monkey virus, but I'm achymptomatic. I got some laughs. There were groans and laughs. That means I achieved the cornball quotient there. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. All right, then. Speaking of Isaiah's prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, 21, Paul writes to the Corinthians and quotes this quotation, which proves that it was about the gift of tongues. He says, in the law, he's talking about Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. On the day of Pentecost, 120 people were speaking in a language that they didn't understand. And there was at least 120 different ethnic groups there from all over the world to celebrate the festival who heard the wonderful works of God being proclaimed by these people in their own language. That is a major miracle in what Paul is saying. Even with all that, they did not receive it. Amen. Number two. This is my favorite. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. And he won't give you something you don't need, and he won't give you something that will harm you in any way. I've run across, across people over the last 30-plus years. I've, I've prayed for scores of people. I've lost count, scores of people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you run across people who are afraid that they're going to get a demon or some weird spirit when you lay hands on them. That's crazy. That's crazy. We'll refute that with the scripture here in just a minute. John 1, 32 and 34. 32 through 34. This is how I know Jesus is the baptizer. This is John the Baptist. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, that is Jesus. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Amen. Why would you be afraid of something that Jesus wants to give you? The fact of the matter is this. If you refuse the baptism in the Holy Ghost, you are refusing Jesus himself. Because he is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. That's the cold, hard facts right there. I saw a man on Sid Roth. Some of you might know him by name, but I'm not going to mention him by name. And he was sharing how he died on the operating table during a routine dental surgery. And the Lord Jesus appeared to him right there in the operating room. And he had a discussion with him. And he asked the Lord, what can I do to fulfill my destiny? Is there one thing that you would recommend? And Jesus said, yes, you need to pray in tongues as much as you can, as often as you can, and pray out your destiny by praying in the Holy Ghost. Why did he tell him that? Because Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost, and he knows all about the gift that he wants to give you. Amen. But in that same conversation, he also made it clear to this man that sadly most of his children do not take advantage of this vital, life-changing gift from the Lord. Now, you've heard me talk about praying out your destiny by praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost. 
You've heard me do that, say that so much. It's like a broken record or let me modernize that. It's like a broken MP3 file. Well, that didn't get anything. That didn't get a groan or a laugh. There we go. A groan, a gracious groan. Thank you. So anyway, I say it all the time because I believe it. I've been praying the Holy Ghost for 45 years. 45 years. Amen. And it's changed my life, and I have lived a supernatural life because of it. Amen. Getting back to praying out your destiny by praying in the Holy Ghost. Proverbs 20, verse 5, I believe is an Old Testament type of praying in the Holy Ghost. It says, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You know, that word there, counsel, in other translations is the word plans and purposes. Plans and purposes in the heart of man are like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Amen. You draw it out by praying in the Holy Ghost. You know, when you were conceived in the womb, your little embryo had the plan of God imparted to him or her the moment you were conceived. And as you grew up and learned about Jesus and got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, God expects you to start praying out the plan that he planted in the inside of your heart so you can walk it out and live a life that is pleasing unto him. Amen. And one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways you can do that is by praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. So bottom line, if Jesus has a powerful gift, he wants to give it to you, why not surrender it to his will and allow him to baptize you with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues? Luke 11, 9 through 13. Now we're going to address this issue where people are afraid they're going to get some demon spirit if they get prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit if they talk in tongues because they've heard all their life tongues is of the devil. Well, I say people who say tongues is of the devil are of the devil. How about that? Amen? Because it's not true. It's not the true word of God. Luke 11, 9 through 13. This is Jesus again speaking. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Amen. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. If ye then, being evil or fallen carnal men, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Amen. You know, in Luke 10, 19, Jesus talks about serpents and scorpions, but it's clear in the context that He's talking about demonic principalities, powers, demon spirits. It says Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. So let's go back to verse 11 through 13 of chapter 11 there, and let's reread the verses with that in mind. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? 
Or if you ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a devil? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a demon? Of course not. So he basically, Luke sums it up by saying, if you wouldn't do that to your son, what makes you think that the heavenly father is going to give you something you didn't bargain for? Amen. Amen. Number three. Everywhere in Scripture where people got baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 46. Peter was called to the home of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and his men and his servants and the people that loved him. There were Jews and Greeks in there alike. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, he was preaching to him. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. How did they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Amen. Listen, I believe you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and there be a delay in your speaking with tongues, because that's what happened to me. I grew up Episcopal. I didn't know anything. I never heard of tongues. I got saved. They laid hands on me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I did not know what to do. I did not know how to yield. So it's three months later I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I, it manifested. I spoke fluently in tongues and have been doing it ever since, as I said, 45 years now. Amen. Amen. So I guess the bottom line is this. You don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but the only way the rest of us are going to know for sure is if you do. Okay. Acts 19.6, this is now the third occasion where people talked in tongues when they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul is traveling through the upper coast of Ephesus, if you read the supporting scripture there, and he found 12 men, and he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed. And they said, just like me as an Episcopal youth, I never even heard of the Holy Ghost. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So, you know, that's another sign you can look for, that someone's been filled with the Holy Spirit. They prophesy. There are two other places in the book of Acts where people got filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 8, the Samaritan believers, when Philip the evangelist went and preached to them, and then they called for Peter and John to pray for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, where the apostle Paul got filled. And in either case, it does not explicitly say in chapter 8 or chapter 9 that they spoke with other tongues. But with a little bit of research and some supporting scriptures, you can prove that they did. For example, Paul who it does not say in Acts chapter 9 that he spoke with other tongues, but over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. 
That doesn't happen spontaneously to somebody. That happens to somebody who practices praying in the Spirit all the time. In other words, he, he basically said, not just more than you all, but I speak in tongues more than you all put together, the whole Corinthian church. That's a lot of tongue talking, and that shows me why Paul got some of the revelation that he got. Amen. Amen. Number four, preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost and embracing the gifts of the Spirit is the best way to grow a church of vibrant, Spirit-filled, effective believers. Now, you can grow a huge church by avoiding the Holy Spirit and hiding the gifts and, and, and doing all that in the back room. But in the end, you're going to have people that don't know who they are in Christ they don't know their rights and privileges in Christ Jesus. They don't know that they're priests and kings. They don't know how to exercise authority. They don't know how to move in the gifts. And I say they will have limited effect on the powers of darkness because they're just not equipped to handle it. So which would you rather have, a smaller group that's effective and powerful, knows who they are in Christ, knows their kings and priests, knows who they are in Jesus, amen, Knows how to walk in the power of God. All right, so let's talk about the Holy Ghost church growth model. And we're going to go a little bit faster here. And we're going to get a lot of scripture in here. We're going to go through the book of Acts in portions. So just stay with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 18. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language." And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and they were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. You know, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Most people don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. So on the day of Pentecost, the power of God and special gifts began to manifest on a massive scale, starting with 120 believers who got filled with the Holy Ghost. There was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Tongues of fire came down and rested on their heads. And they began to speak with other tongues. And it created such a ruckus that all these people from all these countries all around that were Jews that were there for the festival, they came to find out what was going on. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, 
seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Thank you, Mary, for prophesying that earlier in the service. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Amen. I like verse 17. It says, young men shall see visions, old men shall dream dreams. Since I'm seeing visions and dreams, I reckon I'm somewhere between an old man and a young man. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Amen. Death could not hold Jesus down. It had to loose him. Skip on down to verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. So here we see that Peter, who just seven weeks before was afraid to confess publicly that he knew Jesus. And now he's preaching with such boldness and anointing that he actually confronted the very people that call for Jesus' crucifixion just about seven weeks before, amen? By the power of the Spirit, he was able to convict them of their sins and bring them to the knowledge that they were sinners and they were in dire need of a Savior, and Jesus was the Savior. All right, home stretch here. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So next time somebody tells you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for today, read this to them. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. If God's calling you to be saved, He's calling you to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Notice that Peter now filled with extra boldness because of the power of God. He wasn't afraid to preach salvation, water baptism, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Did you hear that? The man who seven weeks prior could not utter the fact that he knew Jesus, 
It's now preaching with such power and conviction that it brought 3,000 people into the kingdom in one day. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. These people not only got saved, but they were being discipled. They were sharing meals. They were going from house to house. They were taught the doctrine of Christ, and they were hanging around with people that were more spiritually mature than they were. Amen. That's one of the keys to discipleship. Verse 43 says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Amen. Signs and wonders were done by the apostles to confirm the truth of the word that they were preaching to the people. Verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, this is not an argument for socialism. Just let me set your heart at ease. But all these people from all over the known world were there staying longer than they planned on staying and not having provision or lodging to do so. So they did what they could to accommodate. That's what this is talking about. Verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord, add to this church daily such as should be saved in the name of Jesus. I'm preaching your word. Bring them in, I say, in Jesus' name. Fill these seats with hungry hearts in the name of Jesus, I pray. So finally, the church became a place of provision. A place where everyone gave willingly to the work of the Lord and everyone's needs were met. So we see a pattern emerging here. The power of God was on display. People were filled with the Holy Ghost and worshiped God in other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance, there was Spirit-filled preaching, bold preaching of the Word of God, and signs and wonders were performed to confirm the Word that was preached. And as a result, the church grew rapidly and became a place of supernatural provision so that those that had legitimate needs did not go without. Amen. Sound to me like the Holy Ghost has given us a pretty good growth model to follow. It's not trendy. It's not hip. But it's Bible. Now listen, we can borrow techniques of doing things better in church, innovative ways of having church, innovative ways of having communion with one another, using social media, showing movies and, you know, having uh, costume nights and stuff like that. Some churches do that. That's all cool, but you can never leave the power of the Holy Ghost behind. If that's just something you do in addition to this core of the Holy Ghost power of God, I'm all for it, you know, whatever the Lord Uh, tells you to do that is innovative and fresh and new. But many of them go the fresh and new and the trendy way and leave the Holy Ghost in the corner. We will never do that at Faith Life Fellowship. Amen. All right, so if you read on, if you read on through Acts chapter 3, read the whole chapter, we're not going to do it, up through the first four verses 
of chapter 4, you find that Peter and John healed a man who was lame from birth, and Peter preached again to the masses. Now listen to this. As a result of the miracle and the preaching of the word, the Bible says 5,000 more got saved and joined the church at Jerusalem. And that's not counting the women and children. That was only the men. So I think a conservative estimate of this second round of converts was easily 15,000 people or more. So you started with 120 in the upper room, and within weeks, you got a church of almost 20,000. That's Holy Ghost growth. Amen. Hallelujah. So clearly the scriptural Holy Ghost-led pattern for church growth is to boldly preach Jesus as Savior and as baptizer in the Holy Ghost and to allow the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God to manifest. You might grow a large church by playing it safe, by steering clear of the Holy Ghost, by keeping tongues in the closet, but your people will be largely ineffective. Hear me out. If you don't teach them how to pray in the Holy Ghost, if you don't teach them who they are in Christ, if you don't teach them how to operate in the power of God, if you don't teach them how to use their authority as kings and priests of God in Jesus' name, they will have negligible impact on the kingdom of darkness and the world around them. That's why we're going to do the exact opposite here at Faith Life Fellowship. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Who's Afraid of the Holy Ghost? If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.